0: Teaching is so weird. It's so performative. Uh, We have this audience of 28 people who uh, watch us do our job for a year, and then they move on and watch someone else do the job for a year. But we never really watch each other. Uh, We do it maybe in that first year, once in a while. But um, we have such talent all around us, and we don't get the opportunity to see that. So I've really appreciated that aspect of being an SEL coach for Buncombe County, I've gotten to go into these classrooms um, and watch people who create beautiful environments. Their management is like seamless, and they're using high impact strategies, and they've created structures that are culturally responsive, so the kids can see themselves and see each other. Um, so the teacher I talked to today is one such teacher. Uh, she's got she's spinning a lot of plates. Uh, she does so many things so well simultaneously. So I was able to get her to sit down with me, and I let her pick three things that she felt like had the biggest impact on her practice, and then I picked two more things that I wanted to ask her about. So let's get into it. I am with Emily McKinney, and she is a third-grade teacher at Woodfin Elementary School. I did an observation in her room last week, I guess. And she is a high impact classroom for especially for management and environment, and so Emily agreed to talk to me today i'm gonna if you could really briefly tell me where you're from tell me how you got into teaching
1: hi sandy so i have been employed with buncombe county schools for seven years and i'm actually a product of buncombe county schools myself yeah i'm blackhawk so oh (laughs) i'm I'm actually i'm at north windy ridge right now all about that but um how i came to teaching was just i really loved seeing that aha moment i was doing some field work in my community college And just seeing those moments where students have been really grappling with and persevering with a task that wasn't immediately accessible for them. But just seeing that moment of, oh, I get it now. That was so rewarding for me just to watch. And I thought, I want some some of that myself. Oh, (laughs) I love that. I love
0: that. Well, I uh, gave you, I listed a laundry list of things that you do well and routines I was really interested in. Thank you. But you have agreed to talk to me about about five things that you think, when I went into your room, it was calm, it was orderly, the kids knew the routines really well. That's a trauma-informed practice right there, just that kids know what to expect. They feel safe, they can deescalate, and they can learn better. So um, the, you agreed to talk, first of all, about morning meeting. How does that contribute to your classroom running so smoothly?
1: Absolutely. So morning meeting truly sets the tone for the entire day and students practice just what we think oftentimes as adults as very simple second nature type skills as simply greeting one another good morning sandy How is your day how are you feeling and just checking in and then also being able to express how they are feeling themselves and we do that in the form of a silent thumb check-in with a thumbs up being I'm feeling great, thumbs in the middle being okay, thumbs down, I'm not having a great morning. And they're not looking around at one another. They're just looking at me. And as an educator, that gives me a tip off of, okay, who do I possibly need to devote some extra attention to this right.
0: morning? And then what do you do in your, your what, when you're morning reading, do you, is it more of a question thing or is it you telling them, about differences in schedule? Tell me what the content would be in a morning meeting.
1: It's really a little bit of both, actually, because um, we start off with the check-in, seeing how everyone is. I actually share with them how I'm doing. And we use the zones of regulation as well. And some mornings I just give it to them straight. Guys, I'm in the blue zone. I haven't finished my coffee yet, but (laughs) I'll be getting there. And that helps me wake up and they know what those zones represent. And we are also using Kelso's choices as well. Um, Followed by that check-in, we usually do have a question of the day. And as I take attendance, when I come to each student's name, I ask them the question just to kind of break the ice, get them talking, and then they get to choose another peer to go next. So I can kill two birds with one stone, do my attendance and have that engagement.
0: That is smart, that is smart.
1: So one of
0: the other things I noticed in your class, I saw your, um, the routine was really easy for me to walk into the room and understand because you had your schedule, you had your learning targets uh, taped right under your smart board, which I was like, oh, I like that, that's right in my zone of vision. What talk to me about the routines in
1: your room. So I have, just a few little things that over the years I've found to be really staples of success for me. Um, One of them is just going over the schedule of the day. And as simple as that sounds, the kids rely on that so much, just knowing what's coming up, what's next, what's the special of the day. Oh, I see it's media. So I better get my library books out. So I'm not scrambling for them when that time comes. And also if there's a change in the schedule, such as picture day, guest speaker, what have you, they can anticipate that. And specifically for my students with neurodiversity or that might be on the spectrum, that's really especially beneficial for them, anticipating that unexpected change that's mm-hmm. coming. Um,
0: yeah, well, there are more
1: though. What else do you
0: do to keep that predictable? What else is they, do they know to expect?
1: As we end each section of the day, I actually flip over the schedule card to the back so they can see here's where we've come from, here's where we're going next. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of general management, I also have, and this is very, very simple, a sentence strip that says bathroom chart on it. And they can ask, they can either go without asking, or I have a space that says do not ask. And that's when I'm right in the meat of our oh, that's right. lesson and that's right up front too and it's nonverbal correct you just move it this is a I good time this is not and they see that and we also have nonverbal signals for instead of waving our hands and miss mckinney can i go to the restroom they just show me that nonverbal which i am a huge advocate for anything to save your voice and preserve that communication mm. i try to utilize
0: talk more about uh, preserve your voice
1: Really getting attention for the class has been something as an attention getter has evolved for me over my teaching career, because I'm sure you've heard of all the different call and response, mm-hmm. one, two, three eyes on me. Mm-hmm. But this year I've tried just simply raising my hand in silence. And wow, that has been so much more effective than I anticipated it would be mm-hmm. because thinking about my emails, my multi-language learners, it's just that visual. And when they see that, they know they stop what they're doing. They hold their hand in the air and they give me that silent eye contact. And then I have everyone's attention and then I can give our next instruction. Hmm,
0: That's interesting. I like that preserving your voice. Like when they hear your voice, you're saying something important.
1: And truly thinking back to my student teaching, I did that at Weaverville Primary with I call the kindergarten guru Bonnie Bullman. And one thing that was a huge takeaway for me from her was she never raised her voice at her students, yet she captivated their attention the entire time. And as someone who was just completing their professional year, I thought, how does she do that? What sorcery is going on here? Mm -hmm. But really, if I try to emulate that now too, just speaking at a conversational volume, like we are now Mm. really gets their attention versus having to raise your voice. And then in the process, lose your voice, which I've done several times. Mm. It's really been effective for me. Mm.
0: I love that. All right. You have a very different approach to homework. Talk to me about that.
1: So what I've found, and again, so much of what I do has just been through trial and error and seeing what's worked and what hasn't. And in years past when I have sent home homework and my expectations, there hasn't been a huge overwhelming percentage of completion that comes back. So this year I have really tried to impart to my students that they are the ones that are in charge of their learning. So when In terms of homework, I'm giving them the choice. On Mondays when students come in, I have a sign-up sheet. It's nothing fancy, very simple, just a plain piece of paper. And they write down their name if they would like an optional homework packet for the week. And I try to keep it very simple for families at home so that they can assist as much as possible and it's about four pages. I have some writing, I have some of the math concepts that we're working on at that moment, and I have a fluency passage. And part of it is a lucky listener activity where it really brings the family buy-in as well so that whoever's listening to the reading gets to write a positive comment or feedback for their student. So that's promoting that family engagement as well. And conversely, if a parent or family does come to me in a conference and says, "Oh, miss McKinney, um, little Susie isn't doing so well in reading, I've noticed. What can I do to help? Then I can present to family, well, now that you mention it, we do have optional homework if she would like to complete it. So that way it's completely into the student's hands. I like that they have so
0: much agency. Uh, And I'm hearing that in your bathroom policy. Would you let me ask you two other questions? Absolutely. One of them is I noticed you have sticky notes on the desk and it seems like there's something going on with that. Tell me about the sticky notes.
1: So I use sticky notes as a form of a personal challenge for some of my students. This is not for all, but I have several friends in my classroom who have some challenges with impulse control and that manifests itself in the form of blurting out, interrupting peers, higher volume. So I just simply place three sticky notes on the edge of their desk. And if the student blurts out, then I just very quietly with no ceremony, not even speaking, just remove one. Mm -hmm. And if they can keep at least one, sticky note by the end of the school day, then they earn a reward, which the student and I determine together. Because of course, everyone has different interests or different things that they want to work toward. One of my students really is an avid fan of Minecraft. So he gets some bonus Minecraft time in the mornings if he maintains a sticky note. Another gets to have some social time with a friend from another class so just finding what those individualized interests and preferences are really helps when I can anticipate that there might be a blurt out coming or something to that end I walk by and I just silently point Mm -hmm. and and then that hand comes up okay So I think it's definitely making an impact is that something new this year no, I can't take credit for that idea myself. That was one that I learned from one of my veteran mentor teachers year one. And I thought that is brilliant because there's no fancy bells and whistles. It's just sticky notes. It is. Who was that teacher? That was Miss Vicki Hensley King. Okay. Yes. Shout out to her.
0: Shout yes, out To her.
1: absolutely. All
0: right. This is one I'm getting a lot. Um, from um, teachers around your grade level, this is a third grade issue um, and I, people are thinking it might be kind of an outgrowth of the years that we had where kids were home, they had 14 days to get work done, they had all day to get work done they're just the simple um, task completion. Um, it's taking some kids a really long time there's zero sense of urgency, how do you deal with that.
1: I have a magnetic timer first and foremost Mm -hmm. it's on my board in the very front of the room and I it has a little colored panel so if I set it to let's say 15 minutes it turns that 15 minute mark pink Mm -hmm. so that they can visually see okay this is how much time I have left and I'm a big proponent of logical consequences so if they willingly choose not to attempt it or do the best version of work for them, Mm -hmm. then we make it up at another time. And maybe when there's a much more preferred activity going on, Mm -hmm. we just, I utilize the seven habits in my teaching. First things first, First um, first. we have to do our job first, then we get to the fun stuff.
0: So where are those um, times of the day, those chunks of time that you find for them to get back to that work?
1: Um, sometimes when we are having an interactive science activity, um, I will pull them with me and they will get to experience it, but we've got to take care of our to do list first mm. because I make lists for myself and we have to make take time to make time and accomplish those things on the list. Mm. Excellent.
0: I'm going to push that out. I'm here. If anyone else listening, As ideas about getting those assignments wrapped up for those stragglers, let me know. Ms. McKinley, I'm going to let you, I know this is your planning time and I like to honor planning time. So I'm going to let you go. Thank you for talking with me today and thank you for letting me
1: visit your classroom. Absolutely, Sandy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.
0: One of the things that I've noticed doing these interviews with effective teachers is that how often they acknowledge their mentors. They acknowledge those Jedi Master's and I think it does go back to watching each other and being with each other. It has a big impact. So big shout out to Bonnie Bowman and Vicki Hensley-King. You helped build a really great teacher. So I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.